4. Look with me in chapter 3 and verse 22, because this sets your context for chapter 4. He says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Now this is a quid pro quo. Say, I'm not getting my prayers answered. Well, God might help you this morning. Because we keep his commandments. Did you catch it? If you're not keeping God's commandments, he's not obligated to answer the prayers. You see, now, preacher, that's not what my Sunday morning TV preacher told me. He told me to name it and claim it, imagine it in my mind, speak it, and it's going to happen. They're pushing a different Jesus. We're talking about the one that gave his life on Calvary, was crucified, spitting on beaten, and then uh, died willingly, buried, and rose again. We're talking about that one. We're not talking about the Santa Claus in the sky, Jesus, that this world pushes. We're pushing the real Christ of the Bible. And he's telling you, he says, and whatsoever we ask, he's talking to the church. Uh, and we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now you're kind of maybe seeing some of the catalyst behind what I was going to say about obeying Christ and taking the Lord's Supper. It's important. I believe it to be important. Number two, he says, and this is the commandment. So he's going to give you a couple of commandments. That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and you got to love me. Love one another as he gave us commandment. See, you're a hard one to love. I know. Just get with Jenny. She'll give you tips on that, <laughs> how to deal with that. All right. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now let's go to chapter 4, because now we have some context, because he's talking about the Spirit of God that's living in us and directing us. And he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Amen. There will be many different spirits that will whisper in your ear. And he says, But try the spirits. He says, Put it on trial. Try it, whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out in the world, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come... And even now already is in the world. I like what Brother John said this morning about Antichrist. One of the definitions is substitute. And so your Bible's telling you there's going to be a substitute Christ. That this world, that the devil is going to insert and begin to push that comes on the scene. And the Bible says, so you're not deceived. You need to ask some questions. Then he goes, and hear of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he, is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. Yeah, amen. 
He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now here's where I begin to take my text. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not God, for God is love, or he that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. There's my phrase, God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. He's beginning to define what is the love of God. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given of us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, now, you should be picking up on this language. God's love is about giving, sending, pain, and saving. And then he goes, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And... He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, is a liar. Automatically should come to your mind those people that say, oh, I just love Jesus. I hate the church. What the Bible just say? See, the church is made up of brothers and sisters in Christ. So I just don't like going down there with all them hypocrites. There's just so much trouble down in church. I understand, but you go to Food City with them, though, don't you? You fill your car up with gas with them, and you have no problem riding right next to them on all the rides in Dollywood. You have no problem sitting in a music concert down there in Dollywood, getting in on all that good southern gospel music. Amen. And I'm not taking a shot at that. I'm just saying it never bothered. You ever heard anybody say, well, I can't go to Dollywood. I'm not going down there with all those hypocrites. You ever hear anybody say that? No. No. Whenever I go, I'm not preaching against Dollywood. <laughs> I, I love the food stands. I love that place when I go. <laughs> I ain't been in a while. It's about time for me to go. Uh, well, maybe I need to go on diet first, and then I'll, then I'll go. But they always take that tram ride to the front, especially because, like us, we park in the back, you know. And on the ride in, they say, now, we have some rules. 
and we have a dress code. And I'm thinking, I'm out of here. I do. I say it every time out loud. I'm out of here. Stop the tram. I'm out of here. I don't want to hear no rules, no regulations. And everybody's just kind of laughing. I said, I'm a pastor. And everybody gets it immediately like, ah, that's funny. I said, yeah, nobody complains. Nobody throws a fit. Nobody. Everybody's all happy, 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 happy. So what's the Bible say? If a man say, I love God, oh, I love God, but hateth his brother, that'd be like someone saying they hate the church. He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, yeah, amen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. He said, well, I just didn't like them down at that church. Then find where you fit in the body of Christ. There'll be one for you. Now let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, help us today. Now, uh, I'm going to make a feeble attempt to talk about the love of God. It's beyond me. It's beyond my comprehension. So I am asking that the Holy Spirit of God fill me and anoint me and to be able to take this little bit of bread that I have, uh, I have gotten from your hand and then give it to the people and then let you multiply it. There be here any that is lost that do not understand the love of God. Let the Holy Spirit work in their heart to convict them that they come to you before that door closes. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. You know, when you say that God is love, people will interpret that different ways. And we see from our scripture reading that the Bible says one of the attributes, it says God is love. So you want to talk about love, you must entertain uh, God in your mind. And so we're living in a world that does not want to entertain any knowledge of God. Therefore, according to this Bible, they do not know love. Our problem in this day and age is what does this term mean? God is love. To many it means total tolerance for any evil thing they do. To others they say, if God made me, and this is the real me, God must love me for who I am and what I do because God is love. And then they take that, they take and make a God in their own image, and this God never disagrees with anything they do. That is one of the biggest phrases of the LGBTQ community. If God's love, and I'm the way I am, and God made me, I've dealt with a few of those folks, and they need to be saved. And I, I assure you, you will not win those folks through fear or intimidation. You will only win those people through compassion. They are uh, captivated by the devil. They are human beings. They have souls and the devil is playing with them. And they need the Holy Spirit to illuminate or sh turn the lights on of the glorious gospel. But that is their catchphrase. If God made me this way, no sin made you that way. God made you how he made Adam before he sinned. Adam and Eve, perfect in every way, male and female. 
See, sin, and nobody wants to blame the devil. They're blaming God for how they are and what's going on in their life. How about the devil? Why not give him some a credit for what is going on in your lives and disrupting your lives and to hurt you and to hinder you from being an effective Christian? There is a devil, folks, and he hates God's children. If you are born again, I don't care if you're backslid, if you're born again, you got a target on you and the devil wants you out of the race. And so people will interpret God's love that way. To some, total inclusion. We're inclusive here, except for Jesus freaks. That's going on. We're living in a day where uh, a deranged person can shoot up a Christian school and then they blame the Christians. They're calling evil good and good evil. That's a problem. And it has nothing to do with the love of God. And so this group says, we're inclusive in our beliefs and our stand towards anybody except Jesus freaks. That's not God's love. So what is the love of God? What is this love? And I believe it to be fitting to start with what it is not. The love of God is not loving the things that are anti-Christ. The Bible's clear here that there is going to be a spirit of iniquity. And there's going to be the son of perdition that comes on the scene called the Antichrist. And that means the substitute of Christ. He means he's against things that God has clearly laid out in this Bible. And he's offering a substitute that is going to lure men in through pernicious ways, meaning the lust of the flesh, and they're pushing a nightclub Jesus. Well, that's not the love of God. Loving things that are anti-Christ we see in our text here in verse 3. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. It says, and this is straight up the spirit of Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and about verse 7 and 8 and 9 right in there says that this spirit will oppose God, the one true God, but number two, would oppose the very worship that the Bible says in the manner that we should do it, it would be opposed to that. And here's what's wrong with that. It's Christology is wrong, and it's telling you that Jesus did not come in the flesh. You need to get a grip on this when you say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, and they might not say it like that. They'll say it like this, Jesus does not have a preference or a personality. You say, okay, maybe you've heard it like this. God doesn't care what kind of music you play in the church as long as you've got Christian words to it. I've heard this. I've literally heard this from the mouth of a, of a, of a Christian. God doesn't care even what the words are and the music are as long as it's a Christian singing it. Oh, we got problems with that. And see, why they're doing that is they're pantheistic in their view on music. They're saying and telling you in a roundabout way, eloquently, that God or Jesus did not come to flesh. He does not have a personality and he does not have preference. You and I, if we sat down, I bet you have a preference for music. And I might have a different preference for music. 
and it'll be based upon my personality, and yours would be based on your personality. Why? Because you're real. Jesus is real, and he has preference, and he has personality, and it's up to us to know what that is. So the love of God is not saying, well, it doesn't matter. Jesus, it doesn't matter to Jesus. It does. And so it's the very spirit of Antichrist. It's a substitution. And they're going to insert it through deception to you. And they're going to lay it to you with a whole lot of honey on it. Makes you feel good. I don't know about you, but I like those doctors that make me feel good. Even though I might have gained 10, 15 pounds since last year. Like, well, you're not doing too bad. Yeah, I could have, in light of I could have gained 40. I only gained 10, you know, doing pretty good, right? You are a winner. I'll be back. <laughs> I don't like the ones that says, you know, you'd have a lot better time of it if you lose 100 pounds. Do you know what good food is? I sure do. <laughs> what is it? Biscuits and gravy, sausage and eggs, and all the jelly I can get on a biscuit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I have personality and I have preference. And I, I believe in subjective truth. That's my truth. That's the definition of good food. Can I get a second on that? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I get some amens in the building. Yeah, amen. And so we got to be careful with this. This is not the love of God. Loving the world, we see here in verse 4, uh, uh, where you hear people say, well, only my lost friends understand me. I quit going to church because nobody in church understands me. That is not the love of God. That is a spiritual problem, and probably the spirit, the wicked spirit that's in you, is bearing witness to the wicked spirit of the lost world. That's why you got more in common with them than you do the children of God. And you speak the language of the world, you know, the political correct language. That's not the love of God. I see a Bible-hating mentality in verse 8. He says, He that loveth uh, knoweth uh, not God, for God is love. Or, for, or he that loveth, he that loveth and not knoweth not God. Boy, is that my glasses? Or me, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Back up, verse 6, for we are of God, he that knoweth God, heareth us. He's talking about the Bible. So this Bible-hating mentality that people have is not the love of God. If you don't like the Bible, and I'm always amazed when I get into a Bible discussion, the number of people that say, I don't want to see it in that Bible, and they're afraid of this book. If you're afraid of this book, there's another spirit in you. If you don't want to see it from this book, there's something wrong in your spirit, and it is not the love of God. 
So we see a Bible-hating mentality. They won't listen to the Word of God. They don't want to come to listen. They don't want to learn nothing from the Word of God. Then you see in verse 6, they got a pastor-hating mentality. He says that they would not hear us. We're trying to work with this group, trying to lead them to Christ, and they won't hear us. A pastor, and that's what I was giving you before the service, on my thought on the Lord's Supper for some of you. I believe it to be important for you to take because I believe that God will bless you because of it. And I want to make every opportunity so that you can partake of it. Maybe it'll fit your schedule. And maybe we can uh, get it worked out here in the near future. Maybe we can even go to the widow's houses that are and our shut-ins and so they can partake because that is scriptural. But see, a pastor is somebody that you allow to have input in your life. I believe that what I gave you was exhortation. It was good advice. And it's input because nobody really actually got mad and walked out. You're going to allow me to have a little input in your life and say, look, I believe this to be for your best welfare. And I also believe, according to the scriptures, that God will bless you just a little bit extra this year. If you'll obey him, take the Lord's Supper to remind that God gets the preeminence, the Lord and what he did on Calvary. But we have a pastor hating mentality then we have this church-hating mentality. I've already spoken to that a little bit. But let me ask you this question. Would your spouse question your love for them if you were never around? Oh yeah, I'm married. My wife. I only see her about once a year. She knows I just love her. I bet. That wouldn't last long, would it? You had no accountability to your spouse. You never were around. You never spoke to them. You lived in your own. They got he sheds and she sheds now. I don't understand about that. I'm, I'm still too dependent. Jen, I'm a little worried about having to be weaned when the, uh, these babies, she starts watching these babies because she says, as soon as they're in the house and I got to take care of them, you're out. Is that when I need a he shed? <laughs> I think brother, brother Jerry said, I got one. It's all set up over here, out here. And he says, yeah, you just come on over. I, I, I think that's what he said. Maybe I'm putting words in his mouth. I don't want to allude that there's anything wrong there. There, there isn't, but I like getting people in trouble and stirring the pot real good. <laughs> and why is because that deflects. It gets all the ire off of me and onto somebody else. Now brother Terry's the enemy. <laughs> But he said, no, yeah, you might, I've got to be weaned. Man, I still need a mommy, you know. You've been doing a good job. Why, 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 why would you do this to me? And I'll, I'll help her with the babies, you know. Uh, I like the little ones too, but you got this church hating mentality. And you know your spouse wouldn't tolerate it from you if you were never around, Correct. I mean, your, your spouse wouldn't think, oh, he just loves me so much. How do you know that? Because I never see him. He only shows up once a year. It's great. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I don't believe that, and neither do you. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. If it goes over five minutes and Jen hasn't said she loves me, I'm beginning to doubt. 
I'm doubting. And then if she doesn't get up, when she hears me making that coffee and get my first cup, and I got to get that first cup, my day's going to be bad. She don't love me. So I couldn't imagine not being around for a whole year and then show up. Oh, yeah, I'm just madly in love. My wife, I'm never there. I'm off doing whatever I want to do, and I live in my own place. She's got her money. I got my money. Uh, no, you wouldn't tolerate that. And God doesn't want to have to tolerate that out of you. That's not the love of God. And the Bible is so clear as to say that it's impossible to hate church and say you love God. If you hate church and you hate brothers and sisters in Christ, and by the way, brothers and sisters in Christ are just like your brothers and sisters. <laughs> you ever fight with your brothers and sisters? Squabble? Claw? Yes. Until somebody else steps in and thinks that they're going to pick on one of your brothers and sisters, and then it's on like Donkey Kong. Like, mm-mm. That's what he's talking about here. Yeah, we have different personalities and we have different preferences. But the Lord says if Christ is in there, there's going to be a natural love and a natural attraction for brothers and sisters in Christ because you've got something in common. So that's what the love of God is not from this chapter. We could, of course, run through the Bible and look at other things. But I chose for the sake of time... That would be sufficient, but now let's get to what is the love of God? What is this? And that's why I titled the message, What Love? What is it, the love of God? I'm reminded of John 3.16, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world. But he don't stop there goes daddy gave so when God begins to describe what God's love is it's a giving love here he says in verse 10 here in his love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent so again it's action he sent his son to be propitiation for our sins love then means it's to hold an object or a person to be very precious to the point of being willing to sacrifice self for that object that's what your Bible's saying love is a mental state and not an emotional state. It's a mental setting of the mind when you truly get a grip on God's love. Marriage, it is a crude illustration of the love of God, but it'll have a, three stages in it. It has that first stage where it's more lust-driven than actual truly love and then it has that second stage where you kind of you get attached to one another. But it still kind of have a physical connotation to it. 
And there's nothing wrong with that in the bounds of marriage. But then as you begin to age and beauty fades, maybe a disease might strike your spouse. And then you reach that third level of love. And I've literally seen spouses that will wheel another spouse around that has been afflicted with a stroke or afflicted with cancer and they'll take care of them and they'll love on them and their love is stronger and deeper today even though time has faded that physical appearance and ability but because of a God-like love or we call it agape love it is a mental set in the mind that I'm willing to sacrifice for this creature, myself. And I'm willing to sacrifice my own well-being and pleasure and comfort to care for another. Now we're beginning just to get a glimpse of the love of God. Then he says... To be the propitiation there. Verse 10, it's Old English for appeasement. God was appeased or satisfied at the sacrifice and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are at enmity with God because of sin. God does not tolerate sin. God does not love sin. God hates sin. And He hates it so much that He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come and pay the sin debt of the world because He loves mankind just as much. Love is obedience to God. Love is treating others the way God said to treat them. And again, I'm in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that Jesus did not have to endure that cross? Jesus did not have to endure any of the ridicule from the Pharisees. He could have at any moment says, I'm out of here. But yet he chose to endure that and to be obedient, what did he say? To the will of the Father. It was the Father's will that Jesus do this and go through this and be here and endure the ridicule and endure the punishment and endure the chastening because God said, you treat them the way I said for you to retreat them. And he says, I'm about the will of the Father. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father and the fact that He sacrificed Himself for the welfare of the loved. That's you and me. That's what He was doing when He come riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. He could have flew in there like Superman. He didn't have to do it. But He willingly did it. He willingly put Himself aside because of His love for you and I. Romans 5.8 says this, But God commended, that means put forth, His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, so what was the love? Christ died for us. 
So God's love is a giving love. God's love is a sacrificing love. God's love is an enduring love. God's love is a satisfying love. So God's love is Jesus the Savior. Verse 14 even bears that out. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior. Amen. Jesus. Now this really begins to blow the mind when you understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. And don't ask me to try to explain it any better than that. The Lord had to become flesh. He had to become the second Adam to identify with you and I. We have a physical being. We have flesh. We're not like the angels who are ministering spirits. So God had to identify, even though we were made in the image of God, our image had been marred. We died spiritually when Adam transgressed. And so the Lord come, born of a virgin. He did not have an earthly father. It was a miraculous creative act of God who put that seed in the woman. There was no outside interference. Virgin born. But then he was flesh and was able to be the kinsman redeemer for you and I. Love is giving of oneself and not getting. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I know you all think I am. But I'm not. And so love is being able to love an imperfect person. Jenny's perfect. I was telling her that this morning, just a wonderful person. She sees that I take my vitamins and that uh, I don't uh, eat too much of the wrong things. She gets my coffee. She gets my cookies. Of course, I sneak more. She tries to ration them. And she lays my clothes out. I thought for the longest time that was just the Holy Spirit. And it was a sign that I needed to go to church because they're laid out on the bed. It's Jen. I caught her iron in my shirts one Sunday morning. Found out. Okay. But she has to try to love somebody imperfect. God loves us. And we are not perfect. That's God's love. That's what love is. Loving someone that can't benefit you. A lot of people are friends with you as long as you benefit them. When they no longer have need of you, they're gone. That's not how God's love works. So love is something one does for another. Love is Jesus being the light of this world. Love is Jesus healing the blind. Love is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Love is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Love is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, knowing he would be spit upon, beaten, and crucified within the week. Love is Jesus knowing he was the Lamb of God coming to die and be buried and to rise again to redeem whosoever will from an eternity in hell. But here's the kicker. And until that moment came, he preached the gospel to the poor. He healed the brokenhearted. He delivered the captives. He gave sight to the blind. He set at liberty them that were bruised and done all this 
with compassion. Now, I don't know about you, if I had a death sentence on me, and if it ever comes to the time in this country where they start jailing preachers from just preaching the book, <laughs> don't come and visit me when I'm locked up saying, Preacher, I really need your counsel. You understand if you have a death sentence on you or you know something bad's getting ready to happen to you, it kind of changes your mood. You don't want to be nice. You're kind of a little short-tempered. You're a little grouchy. Not the Lord. Did you ever think about that? He knew, because he knows all things, riding into Jerusalem, those same people that were throwing palm trees down on the ground and crying Hosanna to the king, that within a week, they were going to say, crucify him. We'll take Barabbas, but crucify him. Because they wanted a king that could deliver them from the Romans. They didn't want a savior. So their need of him had changed. But yet, while that was going on, he was still kind and compassionate and loving and willing to help. And the Bible says it like this in Hebrews. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Catch this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did he say? Is he saying that Jesus actually enjoyed the cross? No, it's deeper than that. He says that knowing that he was going to the cross and that it was going to be such a terrible time and, and the, the worst time would be when God turned his back on his own son because he cannot look upon sin. He said he endured all of that with joy. What he's talking about is the Bible says he was looking past the cross after the work was done. And he knew that the cross would satisfy or propitiate the Father. Sin would be paid for. Mankind could spend eternity with God once more upon freely receiving Jesus Christ. That was the joy. Because God's intent for mankind, for the creation of mankind, was to fellowship with us throughout all eternity and that we would fellowship and praise His lovely name and the devil got in there and sin got in there and it broke that relationship and Jesus come to fix it. And said, and it was for joy that set before him because he could see. That's why he cried on the cross, it is finished. That means God is satisfied. And whosoever will may come and spend eternity with God. Jesus was looking past that trial, past the cross. I believe there's been some good songs that says when he was on the cross... I was on his mind. <laughs> mm. Wow. And it put a smile on his face while he was going all through that for you and I. Because one day we're going to sit with him.
in heaven. The whosoever that have received Christ as their personal Savior. I submit to you this morning the best way that I can. That's the love of God. It's not a nightclub, Jesus. It's not a hip-hop, bebop, and all that stuff. It's about Christ on that cross. Paying the sin debt of the world. God giving His Son that had that eternal, perfect, precious blood shed for you and I. And while the door is still open as I preached last Sunday morning, you can receive it and bring joy to the heart of the Father as another one comes into the fold. Let us stand this morning. What love. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I pray that everyone in here is born again. If you're not, today would be a good day to do that. Jesus loves you.